Welcome to the second episode of the Filmumentaries podcast. I was hoping to make this about Sean Young, the actress that most of us will know from Blade Runner. A friend of mine interviewed her for me when I was doing my Raiding the Lost Ark Filmumentary a few years back, but unfortunately we couldn't find the original interview. She of course auditioned for the part of Marion um, and lost out to Karen Allen on that occasion. I found a snippet, but it wasn't quite enough for a podcast, about five minutes. Maybe I'll include that later on in, a, in an extra. So this weekend, I decided to speak to a good friend of mine, Giles Torreira, who you may know as a West End actor, singer, director, writer, all-round great guy. And he's also one of us. He's a big film fan and a stars obsessive. That's how we met, actually. So in this lockdown situation, uh, I tried to find a way of being able to record his audio and my audio locally so we had it in decent quality turns out that using an iphone is actually pretty good unfortunately giles couldn't find any headphones and then and then he came across a pair just sitting in his cupboard i can't believe you found a pair of bose headphones just in the cupboard by the way quite comfort 35s they were great when they were released i mean they're a few a few years old now i think but they're still really good ones uh yeah. prison record yeah yeah i um they were i think they were like in a sort of in a goodie bag or something yeah some, I, this is what i just said event. to becca because I, de- I definitely didn't buy those yeah well they're about 250 quid probably are so. they yeah they're really good headphones yeah, I've been listening to music for the last hour on them. I've been like, okay, let me listen to because I know, I don't have headphones. I don't usually use headphones at all for anything. Do you not? No. So um, I was like, ah. Oh. You don't so listen to listen anything to when you go running or anything. You don't have no. music or no. podcasts. No. You don't no. listen to podcasts at all, do you? You are. No. No. Um, no. Uh, when I go running, I don't want to have any of that. Yeah. Like, there's a point I can sort of get rid of all of that. So, yeah. I never really. Yeah, there is a tendency these days, isn't there, to fill all of your silence with something, yeah, and all of your quiet, whether it's Netflix or whether it's um, right, 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 podcasts or, or and things. like multiple things at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My kids do that. They, they, I'm forever telling them, you know, they're watching TV and then they're looking down at their phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and then YouTube comes on the phone and they've got yes. Disney Plus on the TV. Right, right, right. Like, what is it you're actually watching here? Um, so yeah, I just thought we could have a chat and I could. You know, say here's another little podcasty thing, um, <clears throat> and people may know who you are. If they don't, I think you should. Why don't you? Why don't? Well, why don't we start by um, saying who you are, what you do, what I am? I am a what human I am. being. You're a human being. Well, th- that's been claimed, but I still don't believe it. <laughs> You're like a superhuman being, <laughs> always busy, always prolific. Um, so yeah, what what is your job then, Giles? Explain to us what it is you do. I am uh, so my name is Giles Torreira. I am primarily an actor, but I I would say I am um, a storyteller. Is what I would say I am because that includes music, it includes um, theatre, includes acting, it includes directing or writing or whatever. So. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. I am a storyteller. Yeah, and how we we first met, didn't we? Many years ago, um, we first met 
probably about 2011, I think it was. Because I'd released my Star Wars Begins filmumentary and you and your friend, close friend Dan Paul were creating or in the process of trying to get together your documentary that you'd shot um, about Shakespeare. Yeah. And I think, was it, wasn't it something like you'd seen that I'd been through so much material to make something that you thought, hey, maybe this guy... Yeah, yeah, could, totally. Because uh, I yeah. was like, well, what, we, we, we made it, it was like a movie that we made um, just on our own. So we kind of shot it and 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 uh, travelled around and we were in America and all over Europe and stuff. So it was a bit, it was a kind of big road movie trip with lots of footage and lots of interviews and lots of stuff. And um, so I was always like, well, we're going to need someone who's really, we're going to need an editor. One, it's going to be all about editing. This whole, this project is going to be all about editing. And therefore we're going to need someone who's not phased by having a massive amount of material to try and work through and f- sculpt into a, a thing. Um, and who's not going to be afraid of that. And then I saw your, so for a while I was looking and looking and looking. We were both, because Dan edits and he he knew people and stuff. So I was always on the lookout as we were traveling, like, it's going to be, a, I always kind of felt it was going to be a very specific kind of person who would um, sort of welcome the challenge of what it was, as opposed to being terrified by it. And uh, and then I saw your filmumentaries. And uh, I was like, that's exactly what our thing needs to feel like. It needs to feel like this kind of three or four different layers going all at the same time, but yet somehow there's a kind of cohesion to it. Um and also at the same time have a kind of pace and energy to it that's kind of forward moving and fun. So yeah, so when I saw your stuff, I was like, well, that's that's it. And then when yeah, I and, and then I... when I found out it was like one person, I was like, well, that's that's definitely it then, because that's so <laughs> that's so our kind of thing. The whole project was about like, okay, we're gonna film it and we're gonna, you know, travel around and do interviews and like do sound and it was just. We thought we let's try and make this movie with just two people. So when I saw yours was like just one person, I was like, okay, well, that's mm. pretty amazing. So then that's when I, I don't know how I reached out, but maybe yeah, I can't remember. It would have been online somehow, but um, somewhere it might have been on an old blog thing I used to have. I used to have an old blogger. Oh yes, it was. It was that. Yeah, it was that, that sort one. Of dark screen with a few pictures and a few things. Yeah, so. Yeah, I remember going traveling up to Victoria, which isn't too far from where I am now in southeast London, and meeting up with you, not knowing really anything about you. I think I sort of did the usual thing that people do these days, which is to Google the person they're about to meet. And I saw that you'd been in some stuff and been in theatre and uh, a few TV shows and things. But I didn't really know what to expect, and I turned up. I think we went to the coffee shop or something, didn't we? we had a bit of a chat. You sort of presented that idea to me. And to be honest with you, I was... A, I was flattered. B, I was kind of flabbergasted because I just thought, you know, I, I've made this project, the, these Star Wars projects, uh, on a topic that I know lots about. I don't know anything about Shakespeare. I mean, I, I did Macbeth at school, and I thought, well, this could be this could be quite daunting. But I kind, I think I kind of said, yeah, in principle, it sounds like a good idea. And we met. Uh, you took me up to meet Dan because he lived just around that area, and um, but luckily. You were saved by <laughs> you got uh, was it BBC at that point? We're going to give you some some money to do a TV cut or something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then you got yeah, and then you got a proper editor on board and got it all done in the West. Yeah, well, End you were busy and doing stuff, so that never happened. But um, well, yeah, I mean, I was as usual flying around the world, right? Um, but that's by the by because just 
meeting you was like the kind of um the kind of bonus of that whole experience so it was fine regardless of whether you cut the film or not that doesn't really matter because we're still talking however many years later um, yeah yeah it's great that you know our friendship started then and we've you know we often chat don't we we often message each other and keep in touch wherever i am and wherever you are and uh but the missing bit about the, the story is the fact that Dan and I were are massive Star Wars fans, which is the only reason I really came by the thing in the first place. So um, we made this movie like we were making Star Wars or Indiana, Indiana Jones. So um, exactly as you say, you like you know, lots of people don't really um, have a great time with Shakespeare. And we were like, well, let's make it like it's Star Wars and it's um, the excitement and the energy and the humour of the stories. Um, let's try and put that into the movie. Um, so again, one of the things I really, really remember about watching your film you mentioned, and I think I saw, I want, I in my head, I always want to say I saw the second one first, the Empire Strikes Back one first. Um, but that might be wrong. <clears throat> but I saw that was actually them. the first one that I did. I did them out of order. Right. Yeah. That, that so Empire might have been... was first, then Jedi, then I did Star Wars. Oh, uh, right. I'm, in my head, I saw Empire first. Um, but I, two things I really remember about it was the fact that you weren't in it. We didn't see you at all. And we didn't hear you. You didn't do a voiceover for it. It was just like captioned. Everything was on the text on the bottom of the screen. So there was this kind of, I was like, who is this guy that's made this thing? Who I assumed when I first saw it that it was some Lucasfilm sanctioned thing. Because I was like, well, I've never seen that bit of footage before. And I've never seen that bit of footage. And where's he got that? And where's that audio come from? And I was like, well, this is obviously something from the Lucasfilm, you know, archive. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 fact, yeah, the <laughs> fact that we couldn't, uh, you kind of weren't visible in it at all, I thought mm-hmm. was really cool. And I thought, especially at that point, was, you know, you're kind of coming at the kind of peak of, the whole George Lucas ruined my childhood, where it's like fans kind of going, me, 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 me. Mm, Whereas mm. it totally wasn't that. It was like someone going, no, 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 look at the, the material, look at the film, look at the characters, look at the puppetry, the artistry. Um, so I was really taken by that. I thought that was really special. And then the humour. There was a lot of humour, even though like you didn't speak and uh, it was text along the bottom screen. There was a lot of humour in it. I remember like really mm. laughing at it. So really? those, yeah. So those two things, I thought, oh yeah, because to me, those films are primarily funny. They're comedies, primarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and there's massive humour in them. So those two things, I was like, okay, this, this, this guy's cool. So this, yeah, this is the guy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I remember you kind of presented it to me in that way as well. You kind of said, you know, we're both Star Wars nuts, and we want a kind of Star Warsy feel, and we want to show that it is accessible, that Shakespeare is accessible, and it was for the people, and all that kind of stuff. So right. we should say at this point as well that Muse of Fire did get did get finished um, yeah. through post production and, and everything else. And I remember you invited me along when the sound mix was being done, and I was really kind of blown away that the two of you had managed to pull this off because not only is it kind of a road movie, a buddy movie, uh, with you and Dan in um, a series of different transport including a crappy old volvo and things like that there's also um some amazing interviews with some amazing actors and um you managed to pin down these people over years right yeah like 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 we were shooting it for like maybe four years 
Yeah. And then we sort of had to run around trying to get the deal and get it made and speaking to different people and stuff. And then while we were doing that, we were still shooting bits of it. And and also, I guess, thinking about it, that whole Star Wars thing of of, of, of the, the, the writer going, okay, well, these are story like myths and legends and fairy tales, but they're kind of um, disguised as this adventure movie. Um, so we kind of want, we, I, we kind of really, uh, we're, we're kind of influenced by that of going, this is Shakespeare and people think it's this one thing, but actually we're going to present it in this new and interesting, different way. So, um, so we tried to make a virtue of the fact that we didn't really have anything. It was just the two of us and we were trying to, um, you know, make it work somehow. Mm. Yeah, it was. Because you had those little, you had those little kind of handy cam things, didn't you? All the time, if Dan yeah. was driving, you were holding it. If vice versa, yeah. well, I don't. You don't drive, do you? But no, I don't. Um, which was ridiculous because we went. <laughs> we we decided to go. We're like, okay, right, fuck it. We're going to go down to Madrid. So I can't remember what we had in Madrid, <laughs> but there was some interviews, and then found like a, a theatre company that were down there. Oh yeah, there's a theatre company that had been in London at the Globe for this big. It was 2012, and um, so it's the Olympics. So for the for that summer there was this big festival at the globe where all these different companies from all over the world came and we met one of them spanish company so we kind of kind of gotten quite well with them and they said oh yeah you know come down to madrid so we were like okay let's go down to madrid by that point we had been so kind of far into our let's just chuck everything in the back of the car and see see how far we get that we were like let's just drive down to just drive down to spain so that's what we did. We drove down, <laughs> and As you I, do. of course I don't drive, so <laughs> it was like, yeah, let's do it. And then Dan drove, so it was like Dan's going to drive down. To that, is a, that is a quite a long way. <laughs> it is to ridiculous, go. but we did it. And um, but so I would always have a camera leaning out of the c- car, and like you know, he's always sort of stressing out about where to where we're going, and or vice versa. If we're going, we always had a camera somewhere. And we were sort of mm. living together at the same time. I was living yeah. in, I was his, in his um, flat. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, it was a pretty all-consuming um, thing, but it was a lot of fun. How many hours of footage do you think you ended up with then? Because I seem to remember like a magic number being mentioned to me that first time we Dan met would know. like 2,000 or something. Dan would know because he's got all the hard drives. Like, in his, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it was yeah. like... He, yeah. It sounded to me like a p- apocalypse now kind of level. Totally, of totally, footage, totally, totally. Know, a million feet of film. He because like we we shot it over four years, so each interview yeah. we had eighty interviews. Every interview was at least an hour. Eighty. And then we travelled to America. We travelled to Denmark. We travelled to Germany. We travelled to Ireland. We travelled to Spain. Um, we were always All going funded around. by your, yourselves. Yeah, as well. yeah, there was no, yeah investment in this. No, no, none whatsoever. To begin with, we were like, okay, if we can get like a couple of names, mm-hmm. like I knew like Ian McKellen or if we can get him or Judy Dench, then we can go to the BBC and go, look, we've got these people, give us some money to kind of make the rest of it. And then we pretty soon, we were like, actually what we should do is make a virtue of the fact that it's just the two of us and just try and do all of it on our own. So we would, I would go and do a bit of, um, do a show in town or a couple of months in a show in town or something and earn a bit of money and then we'd pay for the next bit or Dan was always like editing stuff or filming stuff um so we'd kind of work a bit and then go and make another bit of film and in a way I kind of liked that 
I always mm. loved like Orson Welles and that's how he made all of his films. He was yeah. like, you know, he'd go and make some terrible movie and then get paid $100,000 and then go and shoot the rest of another scene mm-hmm. of his movie that he wanted to make. So we kind of, uh, yeah, we, um, it was a lot of fun. It was really, really stressful, but it was, a, you know, we travelled around and... Um, Did you, were you always people. confident that you were going to get it finished though? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. There, was, there was never, it was like... It was very clear that we were in a... Weirdly, it was like... Um, the I think the reason why it was possible to kind of just keep going was because it was very clear to me anyway, like right from the beginning, um, that it was going to work. That it, it was almost like mm-hmm. I could... Uh, I You know, like if you... It's almost like I've seen the whole thing in my head anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, well, I know it exists. We just have to go out and just keep going until it, it, it does. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a funny, it was a funny one. It was good, though. It is available, isn't it? Still on Apple. Still available. Too, Apple and a few other places. Still and available. we should mention as well some of the names that you got um, in to interview. I mean, there's James Earl Jones, there's Judy Dench, there's Ewan McGregor, there's Ian McKellen. Yeah. Uh, we had Baz Luhrmann in it. We had Luhrmann, yeah. Hiddleston. Hiddleston hadn't made a film yet. He hadn't even made a television yet. And yeah. um, so he was in it. Um, John Hurt was in it. Uh, Alan Rickman was in it. Um, Amazing. And these interviews as well, aren't there extended versions of those available yeah. somewhere as well? On Is it on uh, the Globe? On the Globe. Website? Yeah. yeah, we shot, we shot, we were like, okay, well, we're going to need bits. We're going to need fragments of these interviews, mm. but it would be really cool if afterwards then you have an hour of each person, you've got a really good resource then. So we, we, we did that and we went to the Globe and um, they were like, okay, yeah. So then we cut them, smarten them up and then put them put them online. And people still like tweet or contact us saying, you know, saw that film and or we studied that film in class in Canada or wherever. Um and it was uh it was useful for their studies or whatever. So it was it was That's it was great. definitely worth um all the heartache. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, even with my stuff, I've I had a guy contact me also in Canada, funny you should mention Canada, that said he's been using my filmumentaries for years to show people how you can convert research into a, a finished product yeah um uh you know my example about filmmaking i guess but that that to me was one of the most rewarding you know i'd had messages over the years from people i respected and people in places i was interested in like ilm and lucasfilm things like that but also to know that it's helping teach people something i i genuinely found that the most rewarding because yeah you know of course i make no money on any of my things um so um yeah, it's lovely to get that feedback. So you got um, Muse of Fire in the can. Uh, it got released. It was pretty popular, and it's still it's, people are still discovering it, which is great. Yeah. What was it that you moved on to next then? If you remember. Uh, what was it I moved on to next? I can't remember. Because well, um, I I, th- I think I, I before I is. met you, I saw you in Ave- I think I saw you in Avenue Q. Okay. Um, Although I seem to have had, I think I had a few drinks before I went in. So <laughs> can't, and I'm not sure if I was wearing my glasses either, so I can't say that I could pick out the faces. If you can remember anyone. what year that was, I could probably, I can tell you. Yeah, I can't. Uh, we did, I did it in 2006, like, like the beginning of 2000, like halfway through 2006, halfway 2007, I did it. 
Yeah, maybe so. I just. Yeah, it would have been just two thousand seven. So maybe it was you. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway. Um. But yeah, so you've all, you're also in things like horrible histories, weren't you? Which my kids always delight in telling me. Oh, Giles has popped up again. Yeah, we um, we shot that and um, just at the tail end, really, of of the Muse of Fire stuff. So mm. what hap- what ended up happening is the kind of the company that we went to that exec produced it was the same company that did horrible histories. I'd met them right. from that, and um, we we set up meetings and it all worked out fine. And they. They did the deal. Yeah, they did the deal with the BBC and everything. So we did a version of oh, the BBC, which was like an hour. And then uh, and then they put out like the feature version and we put that in a bunch of festivals and stuff. So yeah, it was actually, yeah, the same the same people did the Horrible Histories. But that was cool. That was like, I think we did like five or six seasons of that. It was That was good fun. So that was what was yeah. next. That was what would have been next. Horrible Histories. Good. We got there. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you know, it, it's, a, it's another way of educating people you know uh, aimed at kids of course about things that can seem a bit sort of fussy totally. and yeah and old but in a fun way you know my my kids refer to that show all the time they've kind of grown out of it now my older girls but they um they still have an affection for it and they they'll occasionally come out with some historical fact right you know um sort of tied in with some sort of fart joke or something right you know, right right <laughs> right which was brilliant about it it's exactly that yeah it yeah. was um, exactly that. It is this particular subject, which can be quite tricky, but told in a really fun, accessible, um, alive way. So, yeah, it was it was cool. And, like, we had things that... The thing I always loved about Horrible History is, like, we had... We're the same age, right? So we had hmm. things which we saw, which, when we were kids, that really, really stick with you, to the point where mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen people now who might not necessarily be the most household name famous person now celebrity in the thing but you think jesus christ that person was my entire childhood yeah yeah i would come home and that person was what so to be part of horrible histories was i kind of secretly always felt like that i was like well if i can be to sort of someone else what all of these people were to me then that's really really cool so um yeah i was i had fun doing that no i think i think it really is a nice way to sort of view your work that you're you're putting your stamp down somewhere and, you know, because as you say, we've grown up with so many people and so many films that mean so much to us. I mean, you know, here we are still talking about Star Wars and things, you know, 43 years on from the first one. I mean, we were both too young to see the original one when we, uh, when it first came out in 78 in the UK. Um, but I remember going to see Empire as a kid and Jedi and the TV broadcast of the original Star Wars was the one that really kind of firmed it in my head, you know. I used to record that thing on the TV with a cassette recorder, um, audio only, and listen back to it again and again, you know, giving my dad the responsibility to flip the tape yeah. and all that. Um, and then getting a VHS later on. And, you know, those films uh, or fill a really big part of your heart as well, don't they? You grew up with those. Oh, and, totally. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. Um yeah, like like kind of all every one of our generation, it was like you watched Indiana Jones and you watched Jaws and you watched Star Wars and I never, lucky, yeah. I, yeah, I know I never <laughs> saw ET. I was never really into ET until like mm. way into my adult years, only really mm. like in the last mm. ten years. I never, I was never into ET, but um, Star Wars, uh, yeah, like everyone, it's like you, yeah, that was that was. Um, 
Yeah, it was everything really. Um, did you go to the cinema as a kid much? Did you like? Do you remember like your first film, for instance? Do you do you remember going to cinema a lot, or was it more? We were you more of a VHS we, kid? No, we could. We neither. We couldn't. We didn't have. Um, I was like it was just my mum on her own, so she worked all the time. So we didn't really. She would take us to the cinema. We didn't go to the theatre because we couldn't afford that. Um, but occasionally we'd go to like see a matinee of a movie. Mm. Mm. So I remember going to see The Jungle Book. And I remember going to see... Um, so we'd see, you know, kid stuff. Um, and then... but So I never saw any of the Star Wars movies at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum wasn't really into... Uh, she would always be like, "Oh, it's too far fetched." Like all those kind of movies, right. anything, anything yeah, yeah, fantasy yeah. or sci fi. Be like, it's too far. <laughs> she didn't quite get it. But what she did love was, um, uh, like all the old cowboy movies. Oh, really? So you know how, like, you'd have back in the old days, you'd have like the TV would be on, and then you'd have like the news at ten, and then you'd have like a late movie. Mm-hmm. Before the whole thing switched off for the night at like half past midnight, it wasn't like it wasn't twenty four hour TV. Every TV would like finish at one o'clock or half past twelve, so there'd be a late movie, and um, yeah, she would. It would it would be like a Clint. It'd be like a spaghetti western. Yeah, they'd have all those old movies, and I guess that was the point where she was like. Um, that was her little bit of TV that she could get because she was at work for the rest of the time. So she would love to kind of watch those old Sergio Leone movies. And you would stay up and watch them with her? If I could. If, yeah. If I could. It's getting a bit late at that point. Getting a bit late. And my sister was always really scared. It was always like a running thing that I've got a twin sister and she was always really scared by the sound of the, 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 um, the guns. You know how in those movies they've got that sound effect, which is just like madness. It's just massive. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> She'd be scared, but I used to like them, and my mum loved them. That's the only movies that she kind of really. And I really remember she would be like, I remember once she would she would uh, she would sort of critique why she liked them, and I was quite young. But I remember her going, you know, the great thing about these movies is that they, um, you know, the guy the guy will come in to the town. And then he'll say say a word, and then there's no talking for ten minutes, and then the bad guy says another word, and there's no talking for another ten minutes, and then one of them gets shot. I really remember that, and I was quite young. So you get you getting DVD commentaries. I was getting the... DVD commentaries, which is weird <laughs> thinking about it now, because like I couldn't tell you another movie that my mother watched apart from The Sound of Music, but for some mm. reason she loved those old um, spaghetti westerns. Um, so that was kind of my movie thing. And then I didn't, but I would watch TV all the time. So the flip side of it is like in the mornings when you'd have, like the first thing that would come on would be old reruns of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? In the morning before, like, because I would get up really early in the morning. So from like six o'clock or something, <laughs> you'd have reruns of old cowboy programs or I Love Lucy or whatever. So I would watch anything that I could. And then the cartoons would come on. And I'd watch all of that. So that was really my thing. I, we didn't have a video. We didn't have a VHS until way later. So everything was just from the television. And um... I was talking to Dan Paul about this, uh, the guy that worked with you on Muse of Fire, a good friend of yours and mine. He, um, We were talking about VHS players and things and posting a few pictures of the huge behemoth yeah. things rented from Rumblows. I mean, 
I, I, I googled it briefly and one of them said it was £449 to buy or you could rent it. <laughs> no wonder my dad rented it, you know, yeah. with a remote on a cable eventually and all that stuff. Yeah. But that kind, of, that kind of opened my world a bit, I seem to remember. We had a guy, I think he used to come around every Wednesday night in a van and uh, he'd have some, you know, he'd open the back of the van, it'd yeah. just be strewn with these, you know, VHS cases. I remember watching some terrible stuff that you'll never find again you know some really <laughs> crappy 70s sci-fi and the kind of light horror stuff yeah you know I, I think that was the first time i saw et as well but i think that was the week of release so you had to go around to the front passenger door right to open the glove compartment <laughs> to get that one you know um so we <laughs> we did see a few movies like that when i was a kid but um so what was it that kind of got you you know addicted to the storytelling side of things was it television did you read did you i didn't read um i didn't as a kid either i'm dyslexic so i didn't i i didn't are you i didn't know that yeah so i i I, i've often wondered if i have yeah well of of course again like at at school they didn't say i was dyslexic that's because it just didn't exist at the time subsequently i found that that's exactly what I am, but at mm. the time it was just like, oh, you're just a bit slow at reading or whatever. Yeah, I might just be mediocre. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But, uh, so I didn't read so much, but I was always out playing and making up stories. And I'd be very, this is like, I've got three sisters, but I would, very, I'd, I was always very happy, like, out in the garden on my own. I mean, most kids are, you know. I, I was just in lockdown, like, with my nephew, and he's now 10, and he can be out, you know, I'm working away, and I sort of look out the, the window, and he's just still playing away like he was an mm-hmm. hour ago. Kids can occupy themselves for massive amounts of time doing the same thing. And I was that, I was, I was that kid. So, um... And I think that was a bit of a sort of 70s, 80s thing, wasn't it, really? Because quite often, you know, my mum worked. Uh, my dad was out all day from early till like mid-afternoon kind of thing. And if it was the holidays or if it was the weekend, we just, me and my sister would just play. You know? Yeah. We, we'd be outside, we'd be on our bikes, we'd go to the park. Right. Sound, I sound like a real old fart now. I sound like <laughs> what my dad used to say to me. You're going to get off that computer you know, when I was 11 playing right. my Amstrad or something. But right. um, I think... <laughs> I think that that is kind of lacking a bit now, that kind of, um, that headspace to be able to imagine things. You know, my, my little one, Eve, who's downstairs at the moment, you might pick her up on the mic now and again <laughs> as we talk, but um, she's quite good at imaginary games because we've kind of instilled this um, ethic in the house that we won't just put a screen in front of her, you know, we won't just plonk the telly on or give her an iPad. I mean, she... She doesn't even know how to use an iPad or an iPhone. She's five. Most kids have their own these days, you know. Um, but what it has done um, is is clearly given her the, the space to imagine and to get bored and think her way out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. And you, you, which I think we really benefited from in our childhood because we didn't have things like that to distract us. You know, right? The winters were a bit different with you know our TVs and things, but in the summer, I. I was never in the house. No, no. You'd have to get up and go out and do something. Um, which, in a way, I kind of feel like the movies, especially the movies that were aimed at young people, the Spielberg and Lucasfilm stuff, was very much geared at at kind of participating in that thing. So, you know, the movies are enough to kind of set you off and then you do your own yes. thing. And you, whereas now you... And, you know... It's so interesting in those movies, partly it's a sort of t- a kind of technical deficiency where they can't show you everything because the shark mm. doesn't work or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, the pup, you know, the masks don't look great. But so it's partly that, but it's also partly to do with, I think, or I wonder whether it is to do with just kind of just stimulating your imagination. Whereas mm. now, as you say, like everything is possible to be shown. If you're thinking about a movie, like, you know, superhero movies and stuff, it's possible to see every part of that city at every moment and all those hundreds of thousands of extras. Whereas, you know, yeah, I think there's a certain amount, which means you don't necessarily have to do as much work. And I think that's part of the good thing. You don't have to make that leap, do you? It's all there in front of you. Yeah. And I think and I think from a story point of view as well, those films that we watched when we were kids were sort of a leap pad, as you say, to sort of go on to imagine the next steps. You know, I mean, I remember being I have memories of my first year at school being five, six years old. You know, oh, I want to be Luke. No, okay, I'll be Han. Oh, you're already Luke. Okay, I'll be Luke's brother. And he he didn't know he had this brother. Yeah. And, you know, right. we were making up the sequels. Right, you know, like right, 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 right. Unknown siblings. Um, but I feel like the movies now, like the Marvel superhero movies, they're so um, engineered down to the tiniest degree from from a visual regard as well as a story regard because everything has to fit with everything else. You know, yeah. I don't. It, to me, it doesn't matter that in those original Star Wars movies that Luke appears to be having a bit of a romance with his sister because the writer didn't know. And I accept that as the writer didn't know. These days, people are like, well, well, they should have done this. They should have done that. That was an oversight. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? It's like, if you can pick those holes in it, the film isn't actually doing its job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think the thing about those films and a lot of those films that we're still talking about now is that anything that's negative about them is completely covered up by all of the things that are wonderful about them you yeah know? you don't have to get specific i mean as a as a you know lifelong fan of those star wars movies i've never felt the need to get technical with them you know kind of no. want to know well hang on how come luke's in dagobah for what seems like weeks but han and leia on cloud city for what seems like day yeah. i don't care you know yeah. um I just want, I'm interested in the characters and the storytelling and yeah. the emotion that, that invokes, you know. Right, um, right. And, 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 and I think it's easier to do that when you're a child because that's what, that's what they're aimed at. It's, mm. it's, it makes it more, much more difficult when you start getting older and it's, you can then see th- view things in a different way. Whereas actually, like, like you say, when you're, when you're watching those films with the eyes of, of, of the person who is supposed to be watching them, which is a young person or a child it's easy to get kind of swept up in it. You're not really thinking about all those technical things. Or I wasn't anyway. Yeah. I mean, my, my little one uh, downstairs now, as I said, she's, she's obsessed with Harry Potter at the moment. But it, mm-hmm. she's, her mum's read her the first three books. We've watched the first movie and a half, I think. But it's, it's just sparked her imagination. And mm. she's, I mean, in lockdown for eight weeks, I think I've played about 10 different roles uh, a day, every day. <laughs> My Hagrid accent is is, is working now. Um, okay, well, but, you um, can't say that and then not do it. Sorry. Oh, that part of the recording seems to have been lost. Uh, let's move <laughs> No, it's just a, a really crappy kind of West Country accent. But she knows it mostly from the Stephen Fry audio book. So, um, okay. Yeah, so I... Uh, I mimic those a bit. But um, we should mention as well, talking of phenomenons, that you were involved in a, a phenomenon uh, in the theatre in the, in the shape of Hamilton, the musical, the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. What, what, um, what was the path uh, to getting into that show? I mean, that, that thing was, 
a massive, massive show. It was it hit the press uh, in New York, and it seemed it was in the press every day for some reason or another. Um, you know, certain mentions of particular politicians or support from certain celebrities and things. And then, of course, it came to the West End. And you've you've throughout our friendship, you've always you you always keep things quite close to your chest because you know you have a lot going on. You're writing. You're directing your acting your singing your doing whatever and you know I say how's things what have you been up to yeah all good you know and I'm fine and you know we talk about general stuff don't we we don't talk about the specifics so I think during that time I had no idea that you were going to end up in the show I think you said to me that you had a big audition and it went well or something at one point um and then the next thing you're in this show it's like wow now okay I think our um my friend Matt who you've met several times he sent me a message at that time just with the words Giles is made <laughs> he he said like you know th- this this is the one that's going to get him the attention he deserves kind of thing so what how how did that all start how did you get into this uh, this phenomenon um it's a long story you can you can shorten it <laughs> <laughs> uh well, it's it actually fairly straightforward and i'm just thinking about like uh because it was such a when i when i heard about auditioning for it it was just it, its kind of original peak on broadway so it had just been um it was it was exploding on broadway and it had just been going for a year and then all the big award season happened and performing at the white house and all that a lot had kind of just happened so I knew, even though I didn't know what the show was before that point, I was when I, when I found out I was going to be auditioning for it, um, I was aware that it was this massive thing that was just steamrolling in New York. So it wasn't really something that I was going to be talking <laughs> talking about because, like, no, of course. Do you know what course. I mean? It's like when they're going to make a new Star Wars film. It's like you don't. Everyone, no, everyone is going to be. So of you course. just do the thing, keep quiet, and just mm-hmm. concentrate on just trying to remember what the get the audition right, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was that's my explanation for that. But the path to it was um, fairly straightforward. My my agent called up and said, "There's this show happening," and I was like, "I didn't really know it," and um, but I knew that it was hip hop rap musical so I was like well that's not going to be they're going to get someone who's a rapper they're not going to get me or mm. they'll get the the Americans will come over it's just been this huge hit they're winning all the awards and they're all now big massive stars which never happens off the back of a of a theatre show um, that people then become nationally and internationally known but yet that's what was happening so I was like well why wouldn't they just bring all those people over and it'll be you know I'll be like I'll be happy with that it'll be great um, so I but my agent was like, no, go and uh, go and see them. And I was going to be in, in New York. I wasn't going to be in London when they were auditioning in London I because I was on tour with another show. So my agent arranged for me to meet them way, way early when I was in New York and I met them. And then there was a massive gap of like six months, uh, which is probably when I told you that I'd had this audition, mm-hmm. when I didn't hear I think anything. I, I think I'd come into London to give you some DVDs or something. I don't know what it was, or just meet up for us. Film inventory yeah. DVDs. Yeah. So I was like waiting and waiting and waiting for months. And I assumed that they, and my agent had said, okay, well, you saw them in New York and they're really happy. So they'll see you at the final auditions. Because I, I saw them like in the summer and then 
they were going to be auditioning in London for the proper auditions, like in early autumn, and then the finals were going to be in like December. So there was this massive gap where I was like, well, they're going to get, you know, if they wanted me, they they usually check and say, you know, has Jamie been offered anything else, or let us know if Jamie something else comes. They kind of contact you if they're really interested to keep you on hold, and we heard nothing. So um, so I was like, nah, it's not going to happen. And then my agent was like, no, no, they'll, they'll, they've said they'll see you at the final and that's it. So I saw them then in the final. So between my audition and seeing them for the final, it was like five, six months. And then I, they, they, um, I saw them and I got the part. So it was, it was a kind of, I only saw them twice, but there was a massive mm. gap in between. You um, clearly made an impression when you first saw them. I mean, you must have been up against a lot of other people. I mean, when the first show first started obviously Lin Manuel uh, Manuel had had uh, another successful show but i can't imagine that the queue the queues for the auditions for that would have been uh, quite as big i mean they weren't open auditions of course mm. i'm sure they you know would have booked people but I, you were pro- potentially against hundreds and hundreds of people for that I, part. It, unless they saw you and thought this is the guy and we don't need to <laughs> see anyone else Sometimes these things click. Yeah, don't they? I mean, when I have you spoken to like um, the, I always thought up until when I saw them at the final audition, I was I was totally convinced that it wasn't happening. So much so that another job came up, and um, I got offered something else, and I was like, okay, well, great, I've been offered that, and my agent was like, no, 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 you, can't, you. Can't. Hamilton, you got, we got away for Hamilton, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, but Hamilton's not. They, they, we haven't heard anything. They're not interested." And he was like, "No, no, they are. Don't be ridiculous. They are interested. It's just which that never happens. It just never happens that um, that someone's kind of says, okay, we, we, we don't need to see any more. We'll, we'll see you later.' That doesn't really happen. So I wasn't really, I wasn't convinced by that at all. I was like, nah, they're gonna, they, they can have anyone they want, so why would they, why would they? And, and at least I thought, like, a couple of other shows that have come over from America, what happens is you have to jump through, like, massive hoops week after week after week after week. You go back for recalls, and then you've got to go and sing with this person, then you've got to go and meet the, this director, this producer. Um, I did a show, The Book of Mormon, and, like, a friend of mine was in the audition for that, and he had to go over to New York. They flew him over there, and he had to be there. Then he had to extend his ticket because they wanted to see him again. Then he had to come back to London. They wanted to see him again, so they flew him out. So I was, that wasn't happening with Hamilton. So I was like, well, hmm. yeah. if if that was happening, then I'd be I'd be understandable. But having spoken to um, uh, the director, Tommy, who I we became really good friends, he... he he yeah he was like no it was it was from the beginning it was like we were happy with what mm. what we saw so it was fine but it was being in it at the time I was like I didn't believe that at all but um it worked out fine so what do I know and we we spoke didn't we um a short while ago about how when I came to see the show um I think you were in your first couple of weeks and um you don't remember seeing me uh i i happened to be walking past the stage door there was queues of people there you were coming out with a couple of people trying to get you into a taxi i think and you you spotted me but kind of looked through me at the same time you were just totally sort of zombified and uh i remember as you hugged Wait, yeah, me, that was with you and matt yeah with yeah. Me and matt, yeah 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 I remember when you hugged me, your your entire weight just came onto me. It's almost like you fell asleep on me briefly. You were absolutely... I mean, doing a show like that, 
you have to be disciplined, right? You have to yeah have a routine. You have to know what you're doing every day. Yeah. Because, I mean, when I watched that performance, it seemed so perfect. It seemed so drilled down. And that was within the first couple of weeks. And I'm sure in the minds of the actors and the director and production crew that it got better and better. But it seemed so tight at that point. I mean, how do you create that discipline, I should say? Like how, what do you do when you wake up on a day when you know you've got to do a two, how long is that show? Two and a half hours? Two and a half hours, yeah. yeah. Two and a half hour show that night and maybe that afternoon. Yeah. that afternoon, right? Yeah. Twice, twice on ham- Thursday and twice on Saturday, yeah. Yeah. But you have to just, um, partly, you know, you just have to commit to it. You have to, You thankfully I've done enough things I know okay there's only one and I've never done anything like Hamilton but the things that I had done it's like okay you just have to commit to it um as soon as I heard it I was like even though like I say I didn't know the piece and I didn't know the part it was really clear that this was something really special and exceptional so I was like okay well if I'm gonna do it and audition I have to commit right from the right from there so mm-hmm. um yeah it's like anything you uh it's kind of like we were talking about with, with the film, with Musify. It's, if it's something you really, really want to do, you focus on it and then that's it. So, you know, Hamilton, you have to, you know, you can't drink. I don't drink that much anyway, but you can't go out. You've got to go home and get sleep. And everything is kind of geared towards that. Um, because I always think it's like, I always say it's like, it's a sport, really. Mm-hmm. So you're like athletes, really, because... Yeah, yeah. Um it's just that, you know, people don't go, out and don't go out and play football matches eight times a week. They play once a week. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm, Whereas mm. we have, you've got to get up and do it Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then twice on Thursday and then Friday and then twice on Saturday. And then you get one day off and then you can, you can sleep. So you just have to kind of find your own way of doing it. Um, and I would just, you know, get lots of sleep, as much sleep as you can, as much water as you can. Don't talk a lot during the day. And and then you your body kind of finds a way of doing it. In the first few weeks, your body kind of gets used to it in terms of muscle memory. And then it's interesting because as you go on in the months, it then gets harder where you hit a point where it's like you, you don't have to think about it anymore when you go in. So that's a danger zone because your body, you can start to not switch off, but you you, have to, you want to stay on top of it. And like you say, that show is really intricate and there's lots going on. So you need to be on top of it. So you just have to, you know, I don't know, you just have to find your own way of um, committing committing to it. It is a lot, but that's the name of the game kind of thing. Yeah, and you, um, yeah, it's your it's your job and it's your, your right. talent. And I mean, didn't, didn't that um, stage have like moving, didn't the stage move and yeah, yeah. all sorts? Yeah, you, like yeah, you two have, different directions. And... Yeah, there's, there's, there's a revolve which has a revolve within it. So there's the outer one, which they call the donut, and then the inner one. And they move either the same direction or different directions at the same time. Um, so I was totally prepared to, like, break my neck on that from the beginning. And they, they, did, a, they did the thing where they have, they had the entire set of the, the floor, at least, in the rehearsal room. So we rehearsed down in um, Southwark. And we had the biggest rehearsal room in the building. And then they bought the entire stage over from New York um, with all the revolves in it. So you didn't have like the, the levels of it, but you had the floor. So you had at least the revolve. And I was convinced I was going to be like, I'm going to break my neck on that. And I'm going to be the first one to break my neck on that. 
as everybody else was thinking the same. Yeah, and it did happen. It is. I didn't. I never. I thankfully touch wood. Literally touch wood. I never um, broke my neck. But it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was cool. It was very very cool. And um, I made really good friends on it. And um, it it yeah it you 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 could the good thing about it is that you could get to use all the bits of you that you've that you know your uh that you spent all your time trying to hone and craft and um there's music in it and it's historical and it's a really amazing story about humans interacting and you know the list goes on and on and on um so it was uh, yeah it was a, it was a real it was a real um experience but yeah that night I saw you, I definitely would have been... You know, you finish... You, you come off stage and it is... Uh, you are still kind of... It takes a while to come down. I think that's probably mm. what you encountered. Yeah. By the yeah. time you get home and it's like half past 11 or midnight or something, mm. you're kind of... But in the immediate aftermath, it is, it's, uh, it's... It's uh, it's a lot. <laughs> when, you, when you're doing a show like that, then how, how much of your headspace does it occupy you know are you dreaming the songs are you waking up with the lyrics yeah the tip of your tongue yeah, are yeah. you yeah yeah especially like in rehearsals um as it goes on you get because you're learning the songs all the time and then you're learning choreography and you're just learning information all the time is being chucked at you so after a while you do start dreaming about it and you do have like anxiety dreams all actors have anxiety dreams where you just usually it goes like your dream is it's just about to start performing and your costume is not ready or you're you, you or you, you you're not in the building yet there's always that anxiety you're not quite prepared for it um so you kind of have those but yeah you but you get to a point where you're just like in it all mm. all the time um and do you, do you ever get into that kind of zone that sports people talk about I always think of like Ayrton Senna the Formula One driver who talked about getting into that space where he didn't even have to think about what he was doing it was Mm -hmm. just sort of coming through him yeah Um, I totally understand that I think I think partly it's to do with I was thinking about that recently because I think it's partly to do with just adrenaline and and the coping mechanism that the body has in terms of for whatever reason whatever you're doing is important to you something kicks in and kind of, you know, you, your, your sort of nervous system realises that the stakes are very high for whatever reason. And therefore the adrenaline kicks in and it's part of that whole process. But in theatre, definitely, and especially like with Hamilton, it's like you have like, um, before the show starts, you do like an, um, a, a warm-up, company warm-up on stage, so you'll physically warm up and then you'll vocally warm up. And that's usually about six. And that's usually about half an hour. And then you might have some parish notices or notes, company notes or whatever. And then you have like the half, it's like the half an hour call. So you have half an hour when you have to start. And the announcements are made backstage. This is your half an hour call. You can start getting into wardrobe, wigs, makeup, all that kind of stuff. So that half hour, and then they'll 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 be like, this is your quarter hour call. This is your five minute call. This is your at one beginners call. So that half an hour is really, really important where you're kind of getting into the, into the, so I would say that's kind of the equivalent um, of when you're, you know, preparing on the start line for 
the 100 meter final of the Olympic. It's that moment of kind of getting into gear. So you listen to music and you do whatever you need to do to kind of get your head into gear. Um, so yeah, that's just part of it. Um, and also, like with something like Hamilton, there's so much to learn that to begin with, when you're going into the theatre and starting previews, you need that time to go, fuck, okay, what is that song? Okay, right. When I go off from that side of the stage, I need to run quickly to not forget to come back on that. So you're kind of going through your whole thing. And then that sticks. Like once you're up and running and you know the show, it kind of, the routine of it kind of sticks. Mm. So you're, you're, in, you're into your you're into your groove and you know then how you get into the zone and, and all that. Um, but you're so reliant on each other as well, aren't you? This is the thing that always amazes me about big shows like that is you're so reliant on each other to be on point because one person making the wrong move, saying the wrong line, can just <laughs> push everything off in completely the wrong direction. And I know this is your professionals and this is your job, but to me it seems like a superpower that you're able to do that yeah. and make it happen every time. Yeah, you kind of... Because you are all reliant on each other, you know that, you know, um, like, for instance, I know, like, talking about the revolves that happen on the stage, I, I'm, I usually, as Burr, come on stage and walk down to the front and start talking to the audience, and then the next song happens. And usually in the song, it's the entire ensemble like dancing, singing their faces off, lifting people with lifts, doing flips, doing all these incredible things. So in rehearsals, I'm aware right from the get-go, if I step in the wrong way, I'm going to take everyone out like bowling pins. Mm -hmm. So it's like, <laughs> so it, even if it's just me walking... Started to sweat. <laughs> just, you're starting to sweat. It's like if you step one foot in the wrong way, not even not even choreography, not even doing anything other than just stepping, um, 18 other people could potentially get hurt. So because I know that from that side, it's exactly the same when, you know, if I have to move somewhere and someone else needs to, be, you know, it's a kind of jigsaw puzzle, the whole thing. So you're totally aware that you're relying on each other all the way from the beginning and in rehearsals. So you just get used to... Um, uh, being there for each other and the amount of times actors are really I think actors are really really incredible because you end up having like a kind of Dagobah training the amount of times <laughs> where someone has not because the other thing about performances is that people are off all the time the logistics of everyone having the set amount of holiday during the year means that once you open Every week, someone is off on holiday, or then people get sick, and da -da -da. so there's always the, an understudy or a cover or a swing. So from the moment you open, it's never the same group of people. Quite, it's always a different group of people. So that's then you get into like you're talking millimeters of of difference in one person to the next, and you kind of get your muscle memory gets used to moving this way and that way. And the amount of times where you see someone move in a certain way or a certain direction and then there's someone behind them who maybe they're going to hit or knock or walk into something and that actor will somehow just move out of the way or somehow just compensate for it you get even though they can't see the amount of times you see that I'm always really amazed by that you get so sensitive to where people are spatially that yeah. you, you kind of like a sixth sense yeah. yeah you kind of have to develop that and I think that kind of just comes from 
be just being aware of what of what you know your movements are dependent on everyone else and vice versa so yeah it, it's interesting it's interesting all I that. think we do have a sense don't we when somebody's near us like it's not one that you can necessarily explain vocally but I if I walk into a room I know if, if someone's in there instantly yeah and even if I can't see them we have these little right. triggers don't we and I'm sure you know you have sort of an amplified version of that doing what you do yeah, yeah I mean I saw that show I was blown away and then my wife went to see it also with my same friend Matt who's seen it about 10 times and we've we've basically been playing that that uh, original uh, Broadway album for the last three years or whatever it's been so once you come wow. out of something like that um, is there like a come down like is there yeah your body's like trying to readjust back into another way of life surely yeah um I'm sure it's like like when you come back from being wherever you happen to be in the world. There is mm. a, there is a little uh, de decompression. Yeah, yeah, there's a decompression mm-hmm. moment, which happens whether you want it or not. It's just that's just part of what it is. And with with the show, there's usually like um, there is. It usually takes a lot less time. Is what I would say. The difference in Hamilton usually. The first, like the Monday after you finish the show, you're a bit, you don't really notice that you haven't, you've finished the show yet because you haven't had enough time. And then Tuesday you might wake up and you've got a cold because <laughs> mm. that was always Yeah, what I was going to ask, yeah, it's like a teacher thing, isn't it? Summer yeah, holidays. Totally, yeah. totally, you get yeah. ill. And then after about a week, you kind of, you're going, oh shit, I really miss being in, you start to miss it at like half past seven in the evening. Um and then you kind of get over it quite quickly, usually because you're going on to the next thing. Whereas with Hamilton, it was quite... Um, it took quite a while to, to kind of... Um, come down from that, really. It was, it, was, it was quite hard, if I'm totally honest. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, doing what I do, flying around the world, um, working on F1 and, and other things, the thing I've missed the most about it, of course, is not the job really it's not the um the actual procedural stuff it's not the any of the logistical stuff it's the people it's the it's the camaraderie and the banter and the and the I mean I laugh a lot when I'm on that job we have we have good fun you know and it really has been my second family for 20 years but we are colleagues we're not really friends that see each other outside of work because we do so much work you know we're away 20 weeks a year or whatever it is um we then don't socialise over the winter months, December, January, February, and then when we get back to the first race in March, we, we're all back as firm friends again. So it's a kind of a weird thing, and I'm sure for you as well, you make these amazing friendships that that will go on and can go on, but at the time, you're in this bubble, aren't you? And you're existing yeah. for each other and with each other, and yeah. when you come out of it, you're kind of back on your own, aren't you? Yeah. To and a certain it's, extent. It's, uh, with this, it feels really different normally it feels like that this one feels different mm. and it actually feels like we still do talk every day like all the, all, the, all of us that were in the original cast we still talk and text each other that's all great. the time like mm. um today i was that's got, that's kind of like what you want you know you want you yeah. want the the stars of your shows to all be buddies <laughs> well it was such an intense thing that you're like exactly as you say if you guys you're if you're in dubai or wherever mm-hmm. you get up you go to breakfast, 
you see each other, then you go to work, then you have lunch, then you come back, then you're in the bar, and then maybe you go out to see whatever happens to be in the town, and then you do all the same thing the next day, presumably. Presumably that's what your life is. And in yep, the theatre, it's exactly the same. It's like you're with each other more than your family, more than your kids, more than your husband. So therefore, you don't actually need to... Two things. You don't actually need to socialise so much in the off time because you just you see each other all the time and then two mm. it's very easy to pick up from where you left off it's very easy so um yeah I, I uh it's such an intense thing it's such an intense thing that you're going through that it's like you, you have to get on otherwise I mean you know it's like people people um fall out people have people fall in love people all kinds of things happen Mm-hmm. people fall out of love there's dramas there's like all kinds of shit <laughs> but you kind of you get you get on thankfully they were really um i think they were really uh smart with how they cast it because tommy the director is really keen on who people are so he'd want to know who you were and yeah. what your upbringing was and what you liked and what tell me about star wars and da-da. so he kind <laughs> of has a really clear idea about who Whose energies he's bringing into the room, and uh, so it was. A, it was a total, total joy. Um, really, that combined with every, the fact that everyone was st- standing at the foot of their own mountain, kind of looking up, going, "How the fuck am I gonna? Now I'm here. <laughs> now I've got what I want, which is this job. How am I gonna get to the top um, and back down again alive?" And so, because of that, you kind of, you know, people kind of thought. Uh, Oh, you know, you know, you bump into like peers during rehearsals or whatever, and you suddenly you kind of you slowly began to realise that the perception that people had from outside from what it was like being in Hamilton was a, was a real discrepancy. Hmm. People, you know, you, there was no time to go around going, "I'm in Hamilton," you know, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm made as Matt said. Yeah. <laughs> like there was no time to think that no, at all. No. You just had to worry about okay, fuck okay, I've got to go there, then I've got to get that right, and then I'm supposed to be singing that thing. That's all you could think of, is mm. just to try and get it right. Um, so there wasn't really any time for any uh, really out-of-control ego or drama, or you just had to get on with it. It was, yeah. And, and you know, you, you really did reach the top, as it were, you know, with the Olivier Award and everything as well. I mean, that must have been quite something. I was in... Uh... I was in Bahrain at the time. I think it was the second race that season. And I saw that you'd got nominated on Twitter and I think I'd sent you a message. And then I was trying to find a live audio stream of it because I couldn't find it anywhere on TV or anything. And then, um, yeah, and then they called out your name. I was kind of jumping up and down my bed. I'm not even sure why I was so delighted other than I just wanted to share that moment with you because I kind of knew that, that you were going to get it. Like, in a way, <laughs> having, how, having okay, how you- did you know? Okay, well, how did you know? You you have a, a, a certain cool confidence about you and you have a way about you that people find it easy to give their trust to you and you you were entrusted with a big part there. I mean, you're, in, you're entrusted with the, the Tony Award winning part. This huge show coming from America to the UK. Is it going to work? We're not sure. Is it a story that an English audience wants to know? And you, you guys and girls made this uh, incredible show, and your performance to me kind of stood out um, amongst the others. I think you know the, all the cast was amazing that I saw. Everyone was fantastic, but 
I know I know you and everything, <laughs> but when you came out on that stage and you do your first big number and it's just you out there to begin with, I just thought, because I'd seen you in stuff before, I just thought, holy shit, this guy has got something really quite special about him. I've never said this kind of stuff to you because we don't normally do that. Um, but yeah, there was no. a certain amount, there's a certain part of me that just thought, not that it was a formality, but that if you didn't win, then they obviously didn't see the show that I saw. Um, because what I saw kind of blew me, it did blow me away. And I still, as I said, it's a superpower. I still don't know how you can do something like that. So yeah, I jumped up and down on my bed <laughs> and I was very pleased. And uh, I think I sent you a message, um, yeah. a voice message or something. But being there must, I mean, for, again, you had to, you had to perform it right as well that night. Yeah. Perform the opening number. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on a different stage, you know, with a yeah. different kind of audience amongst all of the people in your industry um that must add uh, an extra element of well let's call it adrenaline shall we yeah it was it was it ended up being um it was in a way it was really fortunate because again you didn't have time to get nervous or you didn't have time to think about how nervous you were to really see how nervous you were um because we had to perform the opening number of the show. So we performed our opening number, Alexander Hamilton, at the beginning of the Olivier Award performance. That was the very first thing you saw. So we rehearsed that for the week before it. Yeah, we rehearsed. And the brilliant thing is they decided, okay, there's 30 people in the company. Those people include um, offstage covers and swings as well, who every night are backstage and watching the show and stuff. So for the Olivier Awards, they said, okay, we're going to have the entire company on stage, not just the people who are normally on stage, but everyone. So we had to rehearse it um, and they had to restage it so that you had like 30 people on stage, which was amazing. It was totally amazing and really smart thing for them to kind of, the nature of like including everyone and it being kind of one family. That made it really special. So we had to rehearse it and then you get there like at nine o'clock in the morning. You have to get to the Albert Hall. Then you've got to wait for them to call you up to the thing. Then you've got to go and get into mics. Then you go up on stage and they give you like maybe an hour to stage it because it's an open stage. There's no set or anything. And there's 30 of us. So we had like an hour to stage it. Then you go away. Then you get out of mics. Then you, it's sort of almost time to start thinking about all the, you have to go up to the red carpet. So you've got to put all your suit on and all your dresses. They've got to do the makeup and hair and all of that. Then you've got to go out to do the red carpet um, and see all the people, do all those interviews and all that. Then you've got to come back, get out of all your fancy clothes, get back into mics, um, get then get into full costume, hair, makeup for the show. By that point, it's like, um, okay, we, you know, it's now five o'clock. <laughs> so we have to start walk, walking down. They come and get you. Um, then you have to go and perform. Now, the, 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 the funny thing was, they, uh, we start the show. So they said, okay, what's going to happen is, um, in, normally I walk out. You spoke about the moment, the moment to start the show where I walk out on the stage. They said, okay, we got a great... Um, entrance for you so here's what you're going to do instead of walking out from the side you're going to walk out from the audience 
So you're going to look great. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine. So I said, okay, you go and stand there. And they've got like a little run of steps that come up to the stage. So I stand there and you can hear a voiceover. Welcome to the EVA Awards. Da, 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 da. It's the VO for the, for the um, TV show. And then when you hear that, I have to walk out. Now in the show, I don't walk out to music. I walk out first, then the music happens. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of walk out into space. Anyway, it's okay, fine, brilliant. We did it, rehearsed it, fine. When we get to the actual show, that what they didn't say is that they're going to have a whole bunch of like um, speeches by sponsors, by the exec producers, by the oh, chief geez. of the organisation. So, so <laughs> everyone else gets taken backstage get ready to come on. I get taken front of house because I'm walking from the audience. So I'm there like on my own, the entire Abba Hall full, <laughs> 6,000 people. And then I see all these people coming out making speeches and like charity things and this organization. I'm like, well, hang on, when do I, when's the last one? When do I go out? When's my cue, yeah. <laughs> where's my cue? And of course there's no one. There's our stage manager who's with me. And I'm like, where's my cue? Where's my cue? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. They just, and all I know is that like, if I go at the wrong time, all I'm going to have is bum, 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 bum. That's all I'm going to have to get into the right place. So I'm like, that's going to be too late. So I need to somehow, I'd rather be early than late. Because yes. it's starting the whole show, the whole broadcast. Anyway, <laughs> so I go out there, I'm in my costume and I'm like, I'm like, when is it? When is it? When is it? When is it? Um, and the, uh, the, the, my company manager, my stage manager I was with was like, I don't know, I don't know. So I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to go out and stand at the bottom of the stairs just because we've had two speeches and it's got, this has got to be the last one. So I go out and then another guy comes out to do a speech. So I'm stood at the bottom of the, st the stairs <laughs> on the stage. The entire Albert Hall behind me can just see me. I'm just standing there like they're all... And then he's got to go through a whole nother speech. So I'm just stood there. So everyone knows, everyone knows what the, you know, what's, what's coming up. This, what's is, this is that, this is that dream, basically. Uh, this is the anxiety dream. Yeah. yeah, it was totally, it was like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm, I was stood there for what seemed like hours. And it was probably only like four or five minutes while he yeah. made this speech. And then, so if you go back and look at the thing, my, my nephew's obsessed with watching that. And uh, whenever I watch, I, whenever I see it, I'm like, all I can think of is just having stood, being stood there. For... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you go and do the performance and then you have to get out of costume, get out of mics backstage while the, the awards are going on and then you get taken to your seat. So the whole thing in answer to your question was like, there was no time to think about how nervous or how um, anxious you were. It was just a kind of whole out-of-body experience the whole day. Mm. But in a way, it was cool. I really loved it, actually, because up until the moment where I went out and sat down, it was just us hanging out with, like, all of our friends. So we were just having a great time. And it was funny and it was exciting. And we were sharing a dressing room with other companies who were performing so you could see everyone. So so for the most day, it was really just cool, fun. Cool, yeah, yeah. Um, it, but it was... But overall, it was a real... Um, out of body kind of thing but yeah it was it was uh it was yeah it was it was great just hanging out and and um everyone looked great everyone gets to you know we're not in the theater everyone gets to kind of dress up and like have fun and f friends and family are there lots of people like jam who plays hamilton his mum was there his brother was there so people had family and 
mums and stuff. So it, it, that was nice. A real sort of carnival atmosphere kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was. It was. Everyone it was. Came it to was see fun. It. You kind of want to go. You 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 know, having said that, you spend a lot of time concentrating on like, what have I got to do? Where am I going to be? You want to have. You're aware that you you kind of like. You should find moments to really enjoy this experience where you can, because it's such an intense thing. So that day was one of those ones where it's like, let's enjoy it. Fuck it. Let's yeah. just, you know, let's let's enjoy each other and and have fun, you know. Well, that's the real trick of, of what you do, isn't it, really, is creating that spontaneity as well and, keep you know, keeping it kind of hemmed into where it needs to be and where you all need to be and what you need to be doing. But at the same time, doing it for an audience that's never seen it before. So you've got to keep that kind of spark in there and keep it immediate. And Yeah. It's kind of easy, though, with Hamilton because... Or it's easy to remember that that's the um, task because the audience is so hyped for it and you're so aware that the audience are like, you know. Yeah, the atmosphere in that theatre when I went to see it, it was fantastic. I mean, there were there were lots of people in there who'd seen it before. I, right. I was in the Royal Box, bizarrely. Um, oh, yeah. Our, our mutual friend, Matt, he is one of these people who... Uh, He'll, he'll be on the phone saying has there been any returns and that right. day there happened to be royal box returns <laughs> so I could see down on pretty much the whole audience and there were so many people you know mouthing along with the show everyone was respectful nobody was on phones or anything like that which you know is always nice um, yeah and there I was sipping you know we we're like two muppets up in the, uh, <laughs> up the balcony there sort of looking down upon the, the lowly people but yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere. It was really electric. And when that first song just kind of hits you right in the face. And um, yeah, it's an experience that I won't forget in a hurry, I'm sure. Um, you know, with the added extra bonus of, of my mate being in the audience, uh, in, in the show as well, which is always nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was definitely. How many times did you come in the end? Did you always come with Matt? I'd only, I only saw it once. And how many times did he he saw it like a bunch of times, didn't he? He saw it a bunch of times, yeah. He saw it before I saw it with him. He saw it a bunch of times afterwards. I think he just took everybody he loves and cares right. about to, right. to the show. Um, you know, that when you come off something as as big as that, the, the question that people often get asked when they've been in something of a phenomenon is, you know, did it open more doors? Has it given you more of a chance to do what you want to do? I mean, in, in the current situation, of course, nobody's doing anything in, in, in many ways in terms of live performance, but... I don't want to get bogged down with the whole lockdown thing. This is supposed to be a diversion for people to listen to us jabbering on. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm aware that you're preparing for another show whenever and however that may happen. Yeah. Um, but coming off the back of Hamilton, did you feel like you were getting more opportunities, uh, you know, and after the award and everything, or did it feel like, you know, what did you? How did you come out of that? Did you feel like you just needed a bit of space for some time, getting to your own sort of more personal stuff, or did you crave to get back into something similar? I definitely didn't crave to get back into something similar because I always <laughs> like to do something. I always want to do something different. Um, uh, well, actually, I came and saw you, didn't I, in your next show as well? In yeah, in, in Rosmersholm, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I was. Uh, I knew that I would wanted to, ironically, I ended up not doing this, but I knew that I kind of just wanted to take whatever time it took to um, to decompress or to just process all of that, so I wasn't really looking to do anything, and then two things came up in quick succession, 
um, I think people maybe viewed me differently. Um, and also there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a thing where, you know, um, anything that tends to be Hamilton related, people are really interested in already. I I found anyway. So, Mm -hmm. um, so people are, I found that people are more open and receptive to go, okay, right, Giles, what about that? Or what's this project or, or what I find is that people will say, um, would you come and speak at this thing or would you come and talk to these students or, or, um, like you're talking about lockdown, there's been quite a few things where people say, okay, well, would you write, do this article or write or go on the radio or, which I'm not, I'm not so keen on because, um, or, you know, you've got to be very careful with all that stuff, especially in this kind of climate. And also I'm not, I'm not in any way like a politician or a, no, or a theatre owner or a producer or whatever. Um, so people are just aware of, 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 I think maybe people are a bit more aware of who I am, I guess, but, but, um, I only ever really just wanted to do things that interested me and that, that, that I thought would be fun to do and different, as long as it's fun, as long as it's different from what I've just done. So what is next for you then, we should say, what it is on the horizon for you at the moment? What is on the horizon? Um... Watching more uh, Japanese movies at night time. Um... Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, Kurosawa movies. Um... Although Jam, I was always talking to Jam in uh, who played Hamilton mm. about Kurosawa and he got me this uh, collection. Uh, the, the collection. The but it's Blu-ray and I don't have a Blu-ray player. They look amazing, those transfers. Like I watched... Um... Hidden Fortress on Blu-ray a few weeks ago, and Your Jimbo, and wow, they look they look fantastic. Really? Because I was always used to them on like murky VHSs, right? Years and, right, right. But yeah, there's something quite visceral about seeing them restored. Yeah, so I'm going to try and get what's on my horizon is to try and find even if they even do Blu-ray, if they if I can find a Blu-ray in in the post-lockdown world, then I might I might try and get one and watch those. Um, uh, yeah, there was a show that I was going to be doing, mm-hmm. which has been put back to whenever, next year, maybe. We're supposed to start in a couple of weeks. Um, beginning that was the Sammy Davis. Yeah, story. Sammy Davis Jr. So we're supposed to start like in two weeks, I think. And um, so that's been put back. And then there's a play that I'm going to be doing, or well, I suppose, again, supposed to be doing at the National Theatre in December. And... Um, that's still no one's pulled the plug on that yet so um we shall see we shall see we shall see if that if that still happens but um and then i'm just writing um it's basically what i've been doing for the last few mm. weeks is writing stuff and um and watching kurosawa movies and sending me questions about why yoda said that to luke and what is that thing 
that you see for two frames when the Millennium Falcon goes down that tunnel. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and a random random Star Wars question. Well, because you you yeah. always have the answer to whatever it is, <laughs> and and also and do you know what it is? It's because well, I think what you've done is to say in a, why I always think that your films are so brilliant is because they reflect what the original films were about. Is that you're supposed to just, you know, if you watch those films, you, you get the feeling that the storyteller is saying, think for yourself, ask questions, look into the world, see, see your world, see who you are, see what you think, see who your friends are, examine stuff and be open and be curious. And that's exactly what I get when I see your movies. So now when I watch them, I can notice things that I hadn't noticed before about them because you're when you when you're in your film your entries you're like you're so good at kind of pulling up this little bit and pulling up that little bit and then this map painting this and then this bit this and this character that got cut out but yet it still kind of remained in the front of it so you end up really kind of watching things watching those movies in a different way but I think the genius of what you do is the fact that is you still the film is still going at the same time. So it's not like it's a completely academic exercise. You're still watching the thing, but you're more alert as you're watching it. So whenever I see these little things now, and these, if I'm watching the movies, which I watch most weeks, I'll see so many things that I was never aware of. So then I'm like, huh. Jamie, why does this happen? Because I know you'll know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you'll know well, it is. It's a service I'm always happy to provide. You know, I haven't always got the answers, but, you know, what's what's nice about it is it sort of creates a discussion. And, you know, in making those film mentors originally, it was for me, in particularly Star Wars Begins, I did it, it took me four years to do that. Um, when I put it out in 2011, it was so that I could sort of fall back in love with those movies because I'd kind of fallen out of love with them. Um, and they'd meant a lot to me before that. And uh, did you yeah, have, like, the, when you started... Did you hmm. did you have in your head? Okay, I'm going to make these films in this kind of way. The thing is going to be playing, and I'm going to kind of run along mm -hmm. with it. Or did you just discover it as you went along? I had that idea beforehand. I, what I thought was, I'd seen so many clips here, there, and everywhere scattered across the internet and VHS and DVD and everywhere else. I thought there's a better way to put this together to tell that story because I've always hated the kind of talking heads making of oh I read the script the script was great um I went for the audition you know everyone was great and you're like what that's what you've just told me about Hamilton <laughs> no I'm kidding um everyone was but right. I've always I've always hated those like press junket kind of they call them EPKs don't they electronic press kit um because you know that the publicity people are hovering over their shoulder and that always kind of irked me. And what I knew was out there was that there was lots of different stories that kind of hadn't been put in an official release of anything. And I felt that there was a different story to tell. Like in the case of Jaws, you know, we've had about five documentaries about Jaws. But when I made Inside Jaws, I knew that there was this other story to tell, which was the local involvement of people in Martha's Vineyard. Um, so yeah, when I started the Empire Strikes Back one, Building Empire, I just thought, I've got all of this stuff. There's a better way to do it. What if I just kind of make it reveal itself in, in the order that the film plays out? And I thought, well, that's a stupid idea because no films are shot in order, so it's not going to make any sense. So that was the real challenge. So it ends up being this kind of two-layered puzzle for a bit, and then it becomes like a 10 or 12-layered puzzle at certain points. 
and it's it becomes like a 3d puzzle then and then i mean i could have made probably 15 20 different versions of both of those or all three or five of them as they are now um but i was always trying to learn how to edit and trying to learn how to try and tell a story by getting all these disparate sources together as well so um and i know i can do it better now you know each time i came out of one of those i thought do i want to release it because i could do it so much better now i know what i know but like anything we create it's a product of that time isn't it and you put it out there and it's either accepted or rejected sometimes yeah. it's difficult to know why it is accepted or rejected um but you know my my aim in all of this was just to kind of initially it was just to learn how to do that kind of thing and to do i wasn't going to make a wedding video you know i thought that would be boring so i wanted to do something that interested me and uh i'd always wanted to tell those sorts of stories because i've always found the creation process just as fascinating as the final result not only for films but you know for me as well i like that process of creating I'm I'm a nicer person when I'm creating something. I can be a bit of a grumpy git around home when I haven't got something going on. Um, I, I like the way it sort of consumes you for a while and it's, uh, you know, you step away from it and you come up with a, a new idea or a new angle on it and you go back to it with fresh eyes. And sometimes you're surprised, aren't you, about... do you ever, I mean, do you ever look back at some of your things and go, oh my gosh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, like Hamilton is definitely that because there's so much of it to sort of see. But for the most part, like I do theatre, so you don't really get to look back on lots of it, really. You don't get to sort of, you're not confronted with it or faced with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, the, I find the interesting thing, like when you look at any, like Star Wars or any of those guys, Spielberg stuff, and they all use the same kind of people to make their movies. But when you look at them, it, I, I love that thing of kind of going, well, we were out and, you know, ILM and it's just it's just a little garage somewhere initially. And we were just like, what the fuck? And then and then George Lucas calls up and we're like, we've got no shot. They kind of you're so obvious that they just and clear that they just had to make it that happen they just mm-hmm. had to go okay well, we need to make this happen let's create the software let's create the computers let's create the the, the um form to to tell it in and that always strikes me what's is kind of reflected in in your films as opposed to say like you know the normal making of stuff where it's very clear that it's someone from the outside asking so da-da-da-da. whereas with yours it's like that's why i thought it was some um, official thing because i was like well that's obviously someone who was there that's obviously mm. someone who was you seem like all those guys when you see them you know in 1976 or whatever <laughs> you look like those guys you sound like those guys you Especially behave like those guys my, yeah my with the beard and the and so it's like it's but i've all, that that's always appealed to me that sort of going to work kind of thing that you know we've got to make this happen you know, I mean, I work in live TV and sometimes I'm amazed that it does happen. You know, you, you will we'll turn up on a job and you're trying to pull all these sort of disconnected and disparate threads together to make this thing happen that's got to happen at this time. Um, you know, under these internal and external pressures. I, I've always seen that there's a... Uh, I don't know whether it's a book or if it's a series or anything, but just looking back at some key films and, and reflecting that kind of idea about just a group of people just decided to go and do that thing mm. and they did it and wow how how did that happen you know 
how the hell did that get made? It is it is quite amazing what we what we can do as a species sometimes. Yeah, just, it is. Know, it does blow me away. Those movies are so much um such a good example of that is that you can't really look at one department without looking at all the other departments. Like I always think about Yoda's death scene as like, I always think that's like the greatest scene in all of it because if you look at it you go okay you've got the puppetry which is extraordinary and it takes however many three four people to do that anyway mm-hmm. but then you've got to look at the lighting of the way Yoda's lit and you've got like the fire there going so that there's kind of his there's always some movement dancing around in his face which kind of gives an extra texture and then the music like if you listen to it without the music it's a completely different thing um, and then Mark's acting off goes it him and he's acting to sort of nothing and he can't really hear anything and the whole thing is so reliant exactly as you're talking about with Hamilton like everyone's reliant on each other and it's all made up of the all these different parts which you can see so clearly which you can't necessarily see in other movies whereas like a normal making of documentary will say well let's talk to the star let's talk to the old producer who says you know I always knew it was going to be great you know <laughs> and then that's it whereas you'll say well actually no 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 let's talk about let's talk to the guy who was the right arm of you know, whoever. Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> or let's talk to the person who, you know, who made the puppets. Of, and in that sense, I think it, that's why it really reflects the movies themselves, because that's how they were made. So I, I'm always really, um, I'm always really blown away by that. Well, I appreciate that. It's nice. I mean, I, I, I'm aware that I'm taking up a lot of your time here, so I'll just be quick and we'll kind of wrap up. But I'm just always aware that there are stories to tell, you know. Everyone's got a story. Every every person on that credits and probably thousands more that weren't credited yeah. have got their own perspective, you know, their own story. And I like that idea of we know the story of the film. We might even know the story of the making of that film, mm-hmm. but we don't know Dave's story and Toby's story and right. Evil's story and all those things. So, um, you know, because I think we sometimes hold these people in this high esteem like they're some supernatural being. Like I didn't even know until I was six that films were made i just thought they yeah, right, happened right you know and then i became fascinated with the idea that oh no it's people that make these things they're mm. actually put together yeah. how does that work um so that's been my sort of my quest really i guess and um you know along the way it's been uh, it's been good to me i've made some good friends like yourself and uh no, i had fun doing it and it's always nice to hear that people are still finding it still enjoying it and that's the great thing about when you have a sort of creative output of any, you know, amount. It's going to be there. You know, people yeah. are going to be. I mean, look at look at Hamilton. I mean, I'm, you know, it's going to be on Disney Plus soon. I know it's the American cast, but that show is going to be there forever. You know? Yeah, yeah. Your TV stuff, your your film stuff, everything. Your you know, your writing, your plays, everything is just. It's going to be there in some form for people to to dig up in a thousand years who knows and um that's the thing that's gratifying isn't it just sort of letting your babies out into the world kind of thing and yeah. see how they get on yeah 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 let's finish on a on a positive yeah <laughs> wow we've just filled up an hour and a half we have yeah yeah exactly an hour and a half have you stopped your recording no shall i yeah do that okay and cut so a big thanks to Giles there for taking time to chat to me. It was nice to have a catch up with him. I actually found out a few things about him that I didn't already know. Um, 
The next podcast will hopefully be Tim Rose of Admiral Akbar fame. We're just trying to pin down a time and a date at the moment. So hopefully that'll be the next one. Thanks for listening and uh, yeah, join us again. Thanks. Bye bye.